Welcome back to the Non-Standard 14er Podcast, the podcast that tells you everything the root description leaves out about hiking Colorado's 14ers. We're doing another Zoom podcast. We got uh, Patrick here with us. Hey there. We got Sean in Salt Lake City. We got Jace up in Evergreen. Howdy. We have an awesome opportunity to talk to a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who wrote the book Halfway to Heaven about his journey climbing all the, the 14ers. We have Mark Olmasek. Cool. And so what, what have you been up to lately? You got a book coming out next week, next month? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I I have, well, it's the paperback version of a book that came out last year in April. So, uh, yeah, that was, that's my third book that was out, uh, last April. Yeah. The, the, the paperback, I tell you the truth. I don't know if it's coming out, uh, next month or not. It's been rescheduled a few times because of the virus. The book business is kind of upside down because of that. How do you start? Where do you, how do you start writing a book on 14ers and how did you even get into it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I probably started from a place of dread and fear. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I think like a lot of people, uh, you know, you remember what your body used to be able to do. And the older you get, you could do fewer and fewer of those things. Uh, I used to like to play basketball, ride a bike a lot. And, uh, well, especially basketball, you know, you just, you can't hang on the rim. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, hiking peaks was something that I loved to do, uh, you know, back before I was married, back before we had three kids. And uh, I just started wondering more and more whether it was possible for my body to, uh, to even do it, you know, with the gap of whatever it was, 20 years, 30 years uh, since I had done it before. And uh, the more I did it, uh, the more I came to, I guess, both love it and dread it. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the, uh, the, the, there's really no greater physical or mental challenge that I could uh, find. Uh, while still being a dad, while still working a job, uh, you know, to be able to leave your house in, in Denver and, and, and get out on peaks. Uh, I love the routine. Uh, I love the sense of fear and not knowing whether I could do something, whether uh, I'd succeed or not. And uh, uh, there's just something pretty uh, primal and rewarding about doing a really hard physical task uh, every day. I mean, I, I set out to do the peaks uh, within about, uh, you know, between Memorial Day and, and Labor Day, almost a peak every other day. And, uh, you know, for years, my main exercise had really been trying to uh, clean and jerk uh, a two-year-old into his car seat in the, <laughs> the back of our SUV. And so, uh, you know, my physical abilities had really slipped. And so uh, to be able to see what was possible again, was uh, an eye opener for me, both both good and bad. <laughs> Can you walk us through the story of trying to convince your wife to let you uh, hike all the fourteeners in a year? I think one of the funniest chapters I, I laughed at the most was when the one line when you say, "I like mountains, I have fear, I scared off a horny elk in my underwear." Walk us through <laughs> that story. Well, I was uh, I was I had backpacked to the top of uh, Half Moon Pass uh, by Holy Cross. Uh, I wasn't sure if I could do Holy Cross in a day. That's uh, a pretty long approach before you get to the main event of uh, getting up that peak. And so I had uh, gotten there. And sure enough, uh, when you were at least with me, <laughs> when, when you camp by yourself at a place you hadn't been before and you arrive after uh, sunset, 
you know, those shadows in the moon all seem particularly long. And, uh, you know, your mind is the most uh, potent fear creator. <laughs> Even when you watch horror films, it's never really the gore or the slashers that ever got me. It was the uh, unknown and, uh, you know, the, the, what was going on in your mind, what you thought would come next. And so sure enough, I'm camped on the top of uh, Half Moon and, uh, uh, you know, not sure if I can make the peak the next day. Not sure if I can even hit my wake up call <laughs> the next morning to be able to get up and down the peak before the thunderstorms come in. And sure enough, I hear uh, noise outside the tent and I'm convinced that it's, uh, you know, a psycho killer or, or whatever <laughs> outside. And I, jump outside in my boxers and there's a, there's an elk having the once over twice on me. <laughs> I guess I had invaded the elk's uh, territory. Luckily, uh, I don't think that she was in the rut yet. Uh, I sure wasn't. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I don't know who was more scared, but the, the elk took off and uh, I can't remember if I fell asleep or not. I think the adrenaline was going pretty well, but uh, I did end up getting up that, uh, that peak the next day somehow. <laughs> So, Mark, you, you touch on this in your book, and I, I really admire you for, for what you did. I'm curious, did, how, what inspired you to go basically from zero to 100 and decide, you know, I haven't done a 14 or in 30 years. Now I'm going to do them all between Memorial Day and Labor Day. What was that thought process like? Well, uh, I mean, really kind of what got me going was the book that I had done before that, which was on uh, – three guys who decided to chase their dream for one year. <laughs> it was about competitive bird watching. How many species of birds can you see in a year in North America? Kind of a, a mad, 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 mad world against the clock. A big travel log of Alaska to the Everglades to the, uh, the border of Mexico, the Rio Grande and uh, Gibson's British Columbia, just a fantastic uh, landscape. Uh, but generally, you know, I, I just figure everybody, everybody lives their life uh, under some compromises, whether it's for your job or, or family. Uh, and the premise of that book called The Big Year, uh, they ended up making it into a movie with uh, Jack Black and Steve Martin and Owen Wilson. But the premise of that book was, uh, you know, if you had a year of your life to do the one thing you always wanted to do with no constraints, what would you do? You know, what if, what if you didn't have any? What, what if you could live life with the breaks? off and me i i just have always loved uh, the high country and mountaineering and fishing and mountain biking and that was uh, uh the three guys i'd written about in the big year who kind of went for it uh, you know, that kind of inspired me to uh, challenge myself i was uh i was fat i was middle-aged <laughs> and uh had three kids at home and uh it was uh I knew that I could do the domestic stuff and it was time to see if I could still do the, uh, the wilder stuff, I guess. And Owen Wilson played you, right? <laughs> uh, did you, no. <laughs> how does that work when you do a, do a movie? Do you still get like royalties? Like when I, I bought the movie there on Amazon for three ninety nine or whatever, do you get a portion of that? Uh, no, I don't. I got a, uh, uh, I got several nice checks uh, over the years in advance before they made the movie. And then when they made it, uh, you know, the option was struck and I got some, I got some, uh, some money for that, but no royalties. Uh, uh, no, I've read stories about Hollywood accounting and uh, 
Uh, I mean, that, that, that movie didn't do well at the box office anyway, so there was no way I was going to get any royalties. But it did, get, it did help get two, two of our sons through college. So, huh. uh, so that, uh, that worked pretty well. So when is Halfway to Heaven going to be uh, coming out in theaters? Because I, I think that could make a really uh, fun movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Would that be a comedy or a horror film or just, uh, <laughs> just pathetic? <laughs> a little mix it's of everything would be great. You know, they're really cool. It, it, it was from a writer's perspective, it was kind of a stunt book, you know, and it, uh, you know, you do the same thing 54 times or 56 or 58 or however you want to count the uh, peaks and how can you make it seem different? Uh, you know, one of my big issues or one of my big problems uh, uh, with that book was that, uh, you know, how, how do you, how do you make the climbs uh, different in, realistically uh for me especially at that point how do you meet new people you know i'd had the same i had i've got really good friends i had the same set of friends for a long time uh i think you hit a certain age in your life and that's probably not that unusual uh you just don't meet uh you know that many people who are willing to wake up well before dawn and uh uh, hike in the dark and get lost and get rained on and grappled on and thundered and lightning on and and so uh, my deal with my wife for this book was that I couldn't hike anything alone. Uh, so basically I ended up doing exactly what I had always told our three sons to never, ever do, which was to meet total strangers on the internet and sleep with them. Uh, we'd go out to trailheads the night before. And, uh, you know, I just, I remember some guys pulled up just blasting ghost face killer and, it's like, what, what am I getting into here? <laughs> this is the first time I'd met someone. But then, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I actually made some really terrific friends uh, off of that book. There's uh, it, people I still keep in touch with uh, today. My, uh, uh, I think that, you know, what, what I, what I kind of came to conclude for a while was that uh, men, uh, especially after a certain point, don't really talk to each other uh except about sports or you know just kind of i guess the superficial stuff unless there's you know sports or alcohol involved but there's some kind of elixir when you get above timberline you know and you feel like you're entrusting your life in some way to the person you're hiking with and and it's vice versa uh you know what's going to happen if something goes wrong yeah i may have just met you yeah you may have been rocking the wheels of your Jeep with Ghostface Killer. But ultimately, you know, can I trust this person? Can this trust him? Can this person trust me? Um, in the case of, of Stevie Two Shoes, that was a screen name on 14ers.com. The guy who was playing Ghostface Killer, you know, we got up on uh, uh, Mount Massive. And uh, if I remember right, it was before 10 in the morning that, you know, there was a storm that kind of came out of nowhere. And First we had the grapple, and then it was all flashbangs. It was crazy. Uh, the few hairs that I have were standing up, and we had to get the hell out of there. And you know, we—it was like the one skill that I have in uh, mountaineering is I've got uh, a really big ass, and so I would—I could—I uh, could glissade or not? Uh, yeah, glissade down the coulars. And the younger guys, the skittier guys, would like go behind me like it was a luge run. And they'd, uh, they'd shoot right down the mountain. That's what we did. We got, you know, we dropped 1,000, 1,500 feet in probably about two minutes. Uh, 
but it was, you know, there were a number of hairball things that happened sometimes because I, I didn't know what I was doing. And sometimes because I felt like I did know what I was doing and, you know, you're, you're not going to set the agenda out there for, uh, for, uh, for mother nature, you know, she's in charge. Uh, but in that case, you know, that two total strangers, brothers, uh, I had just met that morning and, uh, we had, uh, we could talk about anything after that. Uh, we could talk about anything before that even, uh, it was just, uh, something about being above uh, Timberline. You just kind of, you cut out the stuff that doesn't matter. You know, you focus on, uh, the consequential and, uh, it was, uh, kind of intoxicating. It was, you know, time, time and again, I remember on hikes, I mean, I mean, you guys know if you've all been up the peak, you know, you, on, on the way up, you've got all this nervous energy. You're not sure if you can make it. You're not sure if you're lost. You know, can you make this, this move? You know, what about that, uh, what about that 500 feet of uh, air below your ass? And then, uh, and then you hit the top and, uh, and you know, or at least the, the, the myth or the legend is that, you know, almost all the accidents happen on the descent. And so you've got to do something to keep yourself sharp. And so you talk. Uh, well, you know, how much, how much talking about mountains can you really do? Usually you do that on the way up, <laughs> but on the way down, you can talk about food, <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, are you going to go for the double or quadruple burger at uh, K's and uh, Buni? Uh, classic. But, uh, but then, yeah, but, but then, but more, you know, you start talking about, you know, where you're headed with your life and is that the right track? And, you know, what are the things that other people have tried? And, uh, uh, it just, uh, it was kind of fun to have heart to hearts without, uh, without beer or whiskey. <laughs> uh, and, and it kept you sharp, you know, we didn't, uh, I didn't fall too often, uh, on the descents and I survived. Were they all that positive or did, did you have any experiences that weren't, weren't as positive or did everything kind of go smoothly with meeting new people and climbing with them? No, I really got lucky. Uh, I liked everybody. I mean, it, one of the challenges with finding uh, so many different hiking partners is that, uh, you know, from a writing perspective, I, I, I could like, it was, it was pretty easy to find teachers. Teachers have the summer off. Uh, but I had, I felt like I had to hit to a lot of fields. And so, uh, so I, I, I did, I met, you know, I, I was out with a, a guy who had, uh, built a really major sporting goods store in uh, Wisconsin and woke up one day and said, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm making money, but I don't really like this. And so he quit and ended up uh, becoming a fifth grade teacher in rural Northern Wisconsin. And, you know, one of the highlights of his year was traveling out to Colorado every year to, to take on a peak. You know, we, we went up little bear together. I had just met him and uh, we had a, you know, we went up the, hourglass, bullied alley, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And it was just a shower of rocks coming down on us. We we're the only ones on the mountain that day, uh, weekday climb, but it was, uh, probably too early in the, in the year, you know, it was, it was wet, uh, some for glass, uh, in the, uh, um, in the hourglass. And, uh, uh, I think just because of the freeze thaw cycle, you know, that, uh, You've got what fifteen hundred feet of vertical rock that's really terrible shape uh, above the hourglass on Little Bear, and it was 
as it got warmer, the stuff would just, it was like a marmot would fart <laughs> and these big boulders would come the size of a microwave tumbling down on us and you duck and it was like Wilbur Wood was throwing knuckleballs at you again with, uh, but with giant uh, yeah. refrigerator sized rocks. Actually, they weren't that big, but they were still, you know, in some of the positions, you know, when you're doing some class four work or class three or whatever you want to call that stretch a little bear, you know, and you've got unpredictable bounces of uh, rocks. I still to this day remember the smell, kind of the sulfuric smell of those rocks bouncing on the way down, like jamming my head with a helmet up against to make myself as small of a target as possible. And I went up with him, and sure enough, the classic thing on the way down, you know, we went up, we went down, we couldn't believe it. And uh, and I hit the, there was an apron of snow just below the hourglass, and I wasn't paying attention with my, uh, with my axe, and I, <laughs> and I took off, I slipped. You know, I I went I went downhill on a a coolar or apron, whatever you want to call it, for a while. And luckily, the snow was soft enough that I could dig my uh, you know my toes or nose or at that point anything <laughs> to stop me from going down. And uh, Skip, you know, the guy who I'd met the day before from Wisconsin, came and uh, saved my butt. You know, he had hung on to his axe. I'd lost my axe, and uh, and he he kicked some steps in and uh, he got me out of there. You know, I. Time and again, I was really uh, surprised and uh, heartened, I guess, by the uh, kind of the soul or the conscience of uh, people who were just out on the circuit. You know, probably like like a lot of people. I remember reading, uh, you know, Into Thin Air and all these stories about you know the the big mountains, uh, the Himalayas, and I guess that's for a certain kind of person. But those weren't. There were some of those people out in the Colorado Peaks, but uh, uh, I don't know that I ever hiked with anybody who'd like walk over a dying person to get a summit. Yeah, that's just uh, the big mountain climbers are a different breed. Uh, you know, I'm a weekend warrior at heart, and uh, and I found a lot of other people who had similar uh, motivations, I guess, and and fears. <laughs> Well, that's what I really appreciated about your book was unlike Into Thin Air or some of these other mountaineering books that talk about athletes that are an entire at an entirely different level than most of us. Yours was like, here's an average Joe and he's still going to be able to do these 14ers. And it was just so refreshing. There was so little bravado in your book, which most of these mountaineering books are big egos. And I just found it refreshing that you could laugh at yourself and you kind of this self-deprecating humor and that was that was really I think inspiring for me to to read as I was finishing up the 14 years because it's like hey if this guy can do it with kids <laughs> being out of shape and getting back into it I don't know why I can't do it so I, I really appreciated that well if there's one thing I could be it's a cautionary example <laughs> but it's you know the funny thing about the peaks I think is that uh, it kind of changes your way of thinking about uh, where you live and, uh, and about yourself, you know, you, you drive around the state and, and you look up and you say, you know, holy crap, I was up there and even more amazing. I got down from there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I really learned, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember going out with, uh, with, uh, one guy who was, uh, a widower from, uh, South Africa and, you know, his wife died and it was crushing. He thought that 
that was it was it was hard to see anything beyond that and uh but i still remember standing at the bottom of belford and wondering you know if two guys who knocked off a flask of powers whiskey uh, the night before in our uh, tent you know if we could do that grunt and uh, he just said you know how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time it meant something coming from a guy from south africa <laughs> <laughs> and we did, you know, that's, uh, you know, you sure there are, there are, there are big peaks and there are some big fears, but you know, a lot of times, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I went out with people who, uh, definitely had some fears about, uh, your heels. Uh, but I was always able to, uh, be stupid enough or shrink my world enough <laughs> so that, uh, I could focus on, uh, on the next move. So I think that, uh, helps serve me and it seems like it serves others well you know if you get up a mountain same way you eat an elephant one bite at a time then you know you can overcome your worries about exposure and you know sheer drop-offs so if you just focus on what your next move is and instead of overthinking the the vast uh, grand scheme of things you know in the same it's a little bit like writing a book I don't think anybody would set out to write a book, but if you set out to write 500 words a day, <laughs> next thing you know, after a few weeks, after a few months, you got a manuscript, you know, then you, you can go back and fix it. So, uh, you know, trying to make things uh, realistic and manageable, I think there's, uh, there's some lessons to be learned in the mountains that are beyond uh, hiking. Now, do you hike with a journal or a notepad or like when you come up with a funny line, do you write it down in some sort of notepad and then write later? Like the one line I wrote down, highlighted, it said, once you got to the one summit, you celebrated with macho grunts and ibuprofen. Oh, <laughs> no, that was, that was just truth. <laughs> I mean, some <laughs> memories are so indelible. I mean, a lot of times, uh, uh, no, I did not hike with a, uh, I think I hiked with a notepad. I never took it out. I was almost always too tired <laughs> to do it. I've got, I've got really lousy handwriting uh, at sea level. You know, put me at thirteen thousand feet, and <laughs> it's, it's like worse than a doctor's prescription. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, on the way down, I I would uh, the people I was hiking with, I would uh, I'd run stuff by. You know, I, you know, I, I remember I remember this happened in this way. Is that how you remember that? You know, did we do this? I remember hiking off of. Uh, coming down off of uh, Crestone Peak with a woman uh, who had fallen and we found out later broke her wrist. Uh, so she, you know, had, 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 had slipped uh, in the red gully there on uh, Crestone Peak and we're coming, you know, returning back up that uh, broken hand pass. I guess that's what it's called too, is it? Broken hand yeah. pass. I just thought, <laughs> but she was in a lot of pain and we just, uh, you know, you just need that distraction. We had to, she knew that her wrist hurt. She didn't know it was, didn't know it was broken, but we ended up talking about her kids and, you know, her career and the you know, other peaks she had climbed. And, uh, uh, you have to, you've got that obligation to entertain each other. I never quite figured out people who could hike with somebody, but still wear headphones <laughs> or listen to their, uh, music. Uh, because I think that, uh, you know, when you hike with somebody, there's kind of a shared obligation to make sure that both people are sharp and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to get dizzy <laughs> and one misstep could be pretty costly. And, uh, 
a lot of those places. So, uh, so you know, I've, uh, I guess I'm, uh, my business is storytelling, but, uh, uh, and I've heard of in a lot of places, you know, in bars and jail cells and nuclear weapons plants, but, uh, but the, uh, the stories on a mountain are usually pretty, uh, pretty raw. And, uh, you know, I, I used to be a newspaper reporter. I covered a lot of politics. I'm used to people who just lie routinely. <laughs> and uh, I never really ran across that in the mountains. Uh, because if you, couldn't, uh, if you couldn't back it up, you know, what you claimed your experience was uh, and wasn't whether you're honest about your failures and your mistakes, you don't want to be with that people or that person uh, on a peak. You know, you really got to be... Uh, uh, the bravado, uh, you know, that's why the end of thin air stuff seems alien to me. You know, the bravado, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I like that quote you use in your book when you say the mountain offers little ambivalence. It's summit or not. I mean, there's so much ambivalence in writing, I'm sure, or teaching or your career. Or, but it's black and white, man. It's, it's, you're on the summit or not. Yeah, I mean, most of life is pretty gray, huh? Uh, but uh, you made it or you didn't. You know, it's not like you got that email halfway done before you decided, ah, maybe I'll send it out tomorrow. <laughs> you either stood on top or, or you didn't. And, uh, you know, at least the way the Colorado circuit works, it's, uh, for me, it was kind of cool because there's, uh, you know, you start out with the, the hikes in general, you know, the Grays, the Tories, the Beersteads. Uh, so when you do that, you, you kind of learn, uh, you learn about the weather, you know, you learn about, uh, talus hopping and, uh, how not to twist an ankle on, on the way down and how to keep alert. And while you're doing that, you're really, at least for me, building your strength and your endurance so that when you, you move up to the more challenging peaks, you know, then, then you may go from there to the Swatch where it's pretty routinely, you know, 4,000 feet a day, you know, 4,500 feet a day, you know, a big uphill day, uh, you know, and now you're getting now you're getting pretty strong, so that when you get on the peaks that have more precarious situations where you really can't afford a misstep, you know, maybe you've got some extra strength in the bank uh, to be able to rely on if something goes wrong or when something goes wrong. I mean, it will eventually if you're doing all the peaks. You know, I bet uh, I bet each of you guys has got uh, at least one story where. Uh, you're either scared or, you know, something, there was an accident, something unplanned happened. The ability to keep a calm head, not to panic, is, uh, that's a great skill in and of itself. So, I don't know, I mean, what, like, like Chris, what, uh, did you ever, uh, did you ever go for a, a slide or a, a fall or have to evacuate somebody? Uh, we had a couple close calls with some lightning coming back across the knife edge. There's a, there's a pretty forgiving place. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I got to the point where just, uh, even what you took for granted, like I, I hiked, uh, it used to be difficult to get access on Wilson peak, uh, out near Telluride, Southwest Colorado, and was able to get on, uh, through a series of pretty lucky events. But I ended up hiking that with Eric Weinmayer, who is the blind man who was the first to have gotten up Everest and uh, to watch him is really inspiring. 
because, you know, we may be going up a, a trail, you know, people with sight and uh, sure you're, you're looking out for, you know, a rut or a, a boulder that might twist an ankle, but you know, he's, he's doing like double or triple the vertical that we do. He's got these super long poles, hiking poles that are almost like insect antenna trying to feel what's in front of him. And he's lifting his feet two or three times higher than we are to get over the baby heads, you know, the rocks that are in the way he can't afford to stub a toe and go tumbling. He can't see him. And so think of, you know, six or seven or eight miles of high step walking. Uh, he's actually much better on vertical. Uh, it sounds like he's a pretty accomplished rock climber. Uh, so he, he did a lot better on Wilson peak on the class three and to watch, to watch, uh, Eric and his partner, uh, was really something because boy, is that trust, you know, that his partner would tell Eric, you know, here's your, here's your next foothold. Here's your next handhold and words like over here or, or to the left. It, it doesn't work with somebody who can't see. <laughs> You've got to be really exact in your description. So it's really exhausting for both of them. And then on, you know, the way down, I was hiking with Eric and we're telling bad stories to try to keep us alert. We got caught in a rock slide and he uh, got, you know, he didn't really tumble down the mountain, but it was like he, uh, I don't know what the word would be, almost like you're skiing <laughs> 20 or 30 feet uh, down a slope that was steep enough to move, you know, in that classic crappy uh, San Juan rock, Silver Pick Basin. And uh, uh, here's a guy who'd been up Everest. <laughs> and, uh, and rocks were taking him down the side of uh, Wilson Peak in Colorado. So, you know, to your point before, uh, you know, the mountain is ambivalent. <laughs> it does what it's going to do. And we get to adjust, uh, if you want to survive, I guess. Mark, you already touched on this briefly, I think, but, um, when I read the book, the one disappointment I had is the first half of the book is just so rich in detail. And you have, you know, these side uh, segues into like, for example, the history of Leadville, Colorado, which is fascinating. And then as you got towards the end to the peaks that are kind of my favorites, uh, the Elk Range peaks and um, some of the more difficult peaks, peaks um, the chapters got much briefer, much less detailed. And I'm just curious if, if that's because of, like you said earlier, when you're telling the same story 58 times you get to a point where you just there's not a, a way that you can tell it and make it interesting uh well a little bit yeah you i i think you you saw kind of exactly what was going on i mean what you know what when, when you're a journalist you kind of work as a translator uh your job is to take uh a lot of times a technical topic and translate it into a broader general audience so you've got to be able to write on two levels. You've got to be able to write for uh, the experts or experienced who know exactly what you're doing and what you're up to. And then you've got to be able to write for people who are reading this for the first time and may never leave an armchair, you know, who going out in a backyard deck is uh, an outdoor excursion. And so for people who are on the 14er circuit, uh, like you, then sure, those people would want a lot more detail about you know, what the, the leap of faith uh, on pyramid is like, is it really a leap or a step or is it scary or not? You know, uh, you want detail like that or, you know, what's it like going over the, 
the knife edge when it's not uh, in Chris's uh, lightning storm. <laughs> uh, but for, but you know, realistically, most people who read the book uh, aren't on the 14er circuit. Uh, they're kind of, I think, armchair adventurers. Uh, in the same way that, you know, my first book about competitive bird watching, most people were not competitive bird watchers. And certainly my third book, uh, you know, about two guys who fought each other in World War II, uh, you know, most people who read that book were not soldiers themselves. So there's always that line. Uh, you know, on, on the one hand, it would be really fun to write a 14ers book of almost an electronic version where you could click on links and show pictures and video and, uh, you know, the backstory. Here's, uh, uh, here's who, here's who the Wilson of Mount Wilson of Wilson peak, uh, uh, actually was, uh, you know, you can, you can get away with some of that in the book, but, uh, uh, you gotta get that narrative driving on, uh, you know, ultimately it's, uh, somebody spending 25 bucks on a book and you hope that they read it. Otherwise it's, uh, $25 of Ambien for him. So <laughs> my hope is to not, not have cheap Ambien, but, uh, but you never know. <laughs> what chapter did you write first as a, as a, as an author? How do you, do you write your best chapters that when you have the most jokes for as a humor writer, or do you write from preface introduction first or what? I got to write the beginning first because that kind of sets the tone. Uh, a lot of times, you know, things kind of, it, 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 it goes from there, but once, once you set the tone, you know, you lay out the themes, uh, you know, I, 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 in this book, I wanted to, to lay out that this is not a, you know, it's not a crack hour or, a, you know, anchor or, you know, whatever. It's not <laughs> definitely not a world-class mountaineer, uh, who's, uh, who's trying to do this stuff. Uh, and, uh, trying to build some universals that, uh, uh, you know, this is, this is who I've seen on the trail. You know, I'm, I don't think I'm unlike a lot of other people who are on the trail. I think I wrote this book before Instagram so that, uh, maybe the people, maybe the people out these days are a little bit different than when I was doing it. I had no interest in gram likes, but, uh, uh, but, you know, I, I think if there's almost a Walter Mitty, uh, you know, uh, can I do this? Uh, would I be interested in doing this? Would I want to do this? Do I want to test myself like this? You know, why, why would anybody wake up well before dawn on a weekend? <laughs> uh, who considers that fun? Uh, why would you consider it fun? I mean, these are the, I wanted to write it from that perspective instead of, uh, you know, I can, uh, I can climb, uh, 75 uh, flights of stairs uh, on two breaths <laughs> yeah, like the, the world-class mountaineers can. Mark, do you still get out and play around on the 14ers at all, or was it kind of more of a been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of thing? Have you been doing much climbing over the last 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. Every, every year I get up uh, at least a couple peaks and uh, I've always loved backpacking and uh, still get out uh, for trips, you know, four pass loop or, you know, the Buchanan Pass Loop and Indian Peaks with uh, with our sons, you know that's a that's a humbling thing to to see. You know when I did this book, I think one of our one of our sons was a toddler, and now he's uh, <laughs> you know now he's <laughs> he actually lost our family uh, fantasy football pool, and his punishment for as the loser for that was he had to run a half marathon. Oh, and wow. he, had never, he had never run, I think he had never run more than two miles in his life. 
And so sure enough, he ran a half marathon without training. He does, I mean, he does play some high school sports, but at the age, I guess he would have been 16 or 15, but he ran it in less than two hours, a uh, half marathon. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> Youth is indeed a gift. <laughs> He's a pretty good athlete too, but that's, uh, you know, but, but hiking with, uh, hiking with your kids is really, it's, if, if you can get beyond, you know, the hardest 20 feet of the day is always from the bed to the car to get them out the door. But if you can uh, get them out the door, it's really a blast. It's uh, so I, I love to do, you know, hikes or, you know, we, we, we ski a lot too. Our boys are, have all been, uh, you know, Judas Ski Patrol at Winter Park. So we're up on the pass and uh, I can't convince them that uphill is as much fun as downhill, but uh, they'll get there. <laughs> I hope. Which one said the quote about he, like, he doesn't like hiking, he just likes summoning? Yeah, that was Cass. <laughs> that's our oldest son. He's, uh, that's, uh, that's classic. And he, uh, you know what we did, uh, we did ride the Rockies together. Uh, we'd been in a few, uh, backpacking trips together. And at that point, uh, uh, you know, he hit that age. I don't know if, if you guys have kids that age, but you know, they're, they're not too sure. They don't really want to be around their parents a lot. You know, I'm, I'm kind of either embarrassing or a pain in the neck or I'm telling them <laughs> what to do. And, so a lot of times I, you know, for this book, I try to stretch out the uh, hikes that might be day hikes. I try to stretch them out in a backpacking trip so you could do an overnight. And it's actually a hell of a thing. I remember, I remember one night I was camped with Cass up uh, uh, in the Missouri basin. Uh, and, you know, there's that stretch above the, the cabin above tree line, but it's all willows. And uh, that night there was a hellacious storm that came in and we didn't have our headlamps on or anything, but the lightning was so bright. We could see each other in the tent, you know, and when you see shadows inside the tent and I just uh, was, you know, you're a dad, so you're not supposed to look like you're scared, but I was pretty scared. <laughs> and I just remembered, you know, had I ever seen my dad scared? I don't know that I had, uh, but to be in that kind of a joint, uh, to be together and both be scared. And then, uh, you know, come on, what's that old, uh, what's an old Churchill quote, I think. You know, tis no greater thrill than to be shot at and missed, you know, to, to survive that, uh, lightning storm that, you know, and, and then, and then just the buckets and buckets of rain that we had to get out and, you know, fix our guy wires and the big gusts and all that. And that's, uh, it's funny, you know, it, I guess you started out by asking about, uh, I don't like the hike. I like the summit, but, uh, it's, it's, it's the, it's the hikes, it's the grunts, it's the stuff that goes wrong that you remember. It's not the glory, but it's the work that you did to get there. It's what you, uh, it's the humps that you scratched and crawled <laughs> to get over. I guess I don't remember, I don't remember so many of the summits as I remember the, uh, the times when you didn't think you could make it along the way and then in hindsight you did but uh i don't know i'm not a glory kind of guy i guess but uh but when you know the work that it takes to get to a place that's more what i uh what i remember 
my memory always romanticizes. So I definitely remember the supper fests much more than I do the easy ones. But then I kind of romanticized. And I was like, oh, that really wasn't that bad. That was actually kind of fun to be scrambling up this trail. Oh, come on. <laughs> who, the trail, you know? Who the hell actually likes Long's Peak? I mean, sure, on the way up, but on the way down, I mean, give me a break. Your feet are like falling off. You're just, you're, you're, you're tired. It's a forever, it's a forever like you said, suffer fest, you know, from the keyhole down. What a miserable day. Sorry. <laughs> you just have to get up too early and put in too much. It's a spectacular place. You end up in an unbelievable situation, you know, time after time. But uh, man, is that, that is rugged going down. So maybe it's, I don't know, you know, women, women talk about that, about uh, like childbirth, I guess that uh, <laughs> the, the, long, the more removed you are from childbirth, the more likely you are to want to have more kids. So. <laughs> time heals all wounds or, or most of them at least some of them <laughs> i think that's sean's philosophy with pyramid he he it takes him about two years before we ever do we'll do pyramid again i, I swear that <laughs> i'll never do it again never, i'm not not helping you i'm not going up again jace wants to do it he's got to do it himself and then it's about a year later he's like well when are we doing pyramid <laughs> sean i think your t- two years are almost up by the way oh, I, don't, I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> clock is ticking yeah well i mean there's uh i remember talking to andrew hamilton you know who's got the 14ers uh speed record has done unbelievable superhuman feats uh it's a funny thing when you talk to andrew you know you don't get the sense that you're he's a pretty humble guy you know you don't think that you're you know surrounded by greatness or anything you know he, he did all the 14ers and i can't remember what was it Six days, something like that. I think it was like nine days, ten hours, or something like that. Was it nine days? Nine days, something like that. Yeah, it's incredible. But the funny thing, you know, he's done so many of these circuits, uh, and he's done so many of these at unbelievable paces, and especially the, you know, I I don't know that he ever get that he was ever like super fast at any one particular peak, but he just had unbelievable endurance and the ability to go without sleep. But then, but you talk to him about uh, what's. but then he did. Then he did the same circuit with his kids, <laughs> and he said that's even harder. That it's it's really terrifying. You know, it's one thing to you can block out of your own mind what the consequences are of a fall, but man, if one of your kids slips, I mean, that's that's a big weight for you to carry on your on your conscience and your heart. And so, uh, so every every time you do the circuit under a different circumstance, might be the same peak. Uh, but you see it in a different way. The weather's different way. Your partners are different. If you go with your kids, you know, I mean, what it takes to get uh, four, five, six, 12-year-olds up mountains, you know, how many Skittles do there have to be? <laughs> how many Snickers bars? Everybody's got their one, or at least in our family, food is the weakness. So, you know, how are you going to get them up? But it's, uh, that's the problem. If the mountains don't change, you do. And so you see how you are year after year, you know, really, you know, did I, did I really have to slow down at this point on Beerstead? I've been up this mountain, you know, 20 times. <laughs> Why am I stopping for a rest here? I shouldn't have to do that. <laughs> you know, your, your fitness slips and uh, it's uh it's that gauge to see what you've been up to the past year. So it sounds like the, the, your wife's rule about hiking solo really kind of made the book though. You wouldn't have not been able to meet a lot of the the people that you talked to and interviewed and 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 kind of biographied a little bit shortly in some of those chapters. Yeah, 
Yeah, she was absolutely right. I mean, uh, I got not only uh, really cool people, uh, really fun people, really giving, big-hearted people, uh, but I got some experts, <laughs> some people who had a lot of uh, a lot more know-how than I did. You know, Jordan White. I remember, man, at that point, I think Jordan was he was only a year or two out of college, and uh, uh, he had been climbing on the Maroons with his dad, and they were doing, I think, part of the traverse and got caught in a storm, and they both fell. And Jordan woke up hours later, covered with snow, and uncovered himself, pulled the rope, tried to find his dad. He's calling desperately for his dad, follows the rope, and it leads to his dad's body. Jordan himself is stranded you know, thousands of feet above the valley floor, and he's got to get himself down. He's got multiple broken bones himself. And he did. I mean, it was just, you know, I think in some ways, like well beyond what Aaron Ralston had managed to do in uh, slot canyons of Utah because Jordan had the weight of his father's death on his shoulders as he got down the mountain. And it took Jordan a long time to recover. And then Jordan came back and, you know, led me up that same peak. And at that point, I mean, geez, I, I was, you know, I was late forties. Jordan was early twenties. What do these two people have in common? You know, there's we're generations apart, but you know, we had a a common love for the mountains. He was far more accomplished than I, far more patient than I. Uh, but he just uh, thought it was a place that he wanted to go back to it had deep meaning for him and it was important to him to go back and we went together and uh, it was a really moving experience for both of us you know I think Jordan went on to become I can't remember but he was like the third or fourth person to have skied all the 14ers you know I think he's he was making a go of it for a while as a mountain guide out in uh, Aspen I mean he's had you know some big accomplishments. I think he skied the Landry line on the pyramid and, uh, you know, but he took a day to, to take a pudgy old guy up, uh, up Maroon. And it was, uh, it was something It was pretty cool. And so it was little bear. Was that was that your closest close call your most dangerous moment in your circuit? Oh. You know, Little Bear is definitely my top of uh, do not repeat list. Uh, you know, I I would never do that with exposed rock anymore. That would need to be a snow climb, you know, probably in mid-May. Uh, it's just, it, there's just too much loose junk, too unpredictable, uh, too little control, too much randomness, too much chaos. Uh, so, but, you know, I wouldn't do that, uh, you know, the lightning storm on massive of all peaks, you know, <laughs> nobody's definition of a difficult uh, technical mountain. Uh, but the flashbangs over our shoulders were crazy. You know, we got, I got some hairball stuff on uh, Antero with what we thought were uh, 
some gem miners, you know, who thought that we <laughs> might have been encroaching on their patent or honing in on on their treasure or whatever. You know, you just <laughs> you know you never quite know what the what the result is. You know, I uh, so you know is is there risk? Uh, yes, but uh, you know, there's. Uh, there's risk in uh, in denying yourself the chance to do something that you've always wanted to do and wondered if you could as well. So uh, is uh, hiking peak selfish? You bet it is. You know, you're not doing anybody any good but yourself. You know, you could easily be volunteering at a homeless shelter or, you know, tutoring uh, kids in school. But, uh, you know, to me, uh, sometimes, uh, at least for me personally, the, uh, there's just not that combo out there of mental and physical challenge and natural beauty that you get on a peak. Uh, so, you know, if, if everything in moderation, uh, there's still time to do peaks. You don't have to do them all in one summer. <laughs> and, a respite and uh, see what it's like to escape and test yourself. And you did them all in most of all of them in 2007, right? What's, what's it like in 2020 now? I mean, 14years.com was kind of in, in infancy. It's before like really iPhones. What's it like now compared to 13 years ago? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the bigger change was probably when I had first done peaks in the mid eighties versus, uh, in the two thousands, because with that website, I mean, it, it almost became paint by numbers for some of the, uh, the paths. I mean, you could look at the pictures. I mean, Bill Middlebrook had done such a terrific job of documenting routes that you could say, Oh, here's the rock that I turned left at, or, you know, here's, here's the way that, uh, we get around that class four chimney on uh, North Maroon. Uh, it was all there, you know, before that, you know, you'd look at Roach's book or, you know, you might talk to people who had been up before, but it definitely was not as uh, detailed. You know, you had, uh, there was a lot more trial and error on a peak. And plus, you know, frankly, a lot of the routes have been cleaned out a lot too. Uh, there's just a lot. If, if you stay on route uh, on peaks today and, you know, in, in 2007, even more so today. But if you stay on route, uh, usually there's not a lot of chops. There's not a lot of, you know, there, there, there's not nearly as much loose rock as there used to be. Uh, there's just enough people who have been up and uh, that stuff's all gone down. I mean, stuff can always go wrong, but, but there was that, uh, you know, the, the 14ers.com uh, website, uh, that was before Facebook. That was before Instagram. Uh, so that was like the center of everything. It was really pretty fun. Uh, you know, most people were anonymous. They just had screen names. So you didn't know if it was, you know, like some 500 pound guy in uh, Topeka, you know, claiming to be this big, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the king of the Kular or, or what. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was just kind of rowdy and it was pretty fun. You know, now it's Facebook. Uh, although it's a funny, you know, none of our kids are, you know, Facebook's for old people. Uh, so I guess, I guess, you know, maybe 
maybe for people more like, you know, college or high school age, it'd be more Instagram or I don't know, maybe there's some Snapchat stuff for 14ers, but, uh, uh, but at that one moment of time, uh, everybody who was hiking the peaks was in that one place uh, at 14ers.com. It felt like, and it was fun. You know, it was really fun to uh, run into people who you only knew by screen name. You didn't know if, <laughs> if, if they really existed or not. And you'd see them on a peak and uh, you know, you could talk and gossip and uh, it was okay. It was a pretty cool time. Do you, can I ask about writing a book? Do you get an offer to do it first or is it just like, I'm going to try to do it and maybe I can sell this book idea to a publisher? Well, uh, you know, I've been a newspaper reporter at the Denver Post covering uh, politics, environmental stuff. I was lead writer when we won the Pulitzer Prize for coverage of the Columbine High School Massacre. Wow. And uh, I was able to... Uh, switch you know and sell the sell the first book and so they knew that i could get a book done and that it was commercial and would sell and so you know for the next book uh for the mountain book they were kind of willing to give me the benefit of the doubt so i had to write up a proposal but not as extensive of a one as uh you know if it had been my first book hmm. and i just kind of laid out here's what i want to do you know it's like uh be like bill bryson's walk in the woods but above timberline and it would be nonfiction. I'm not going to make up composite characters like uh, like Bryson did. Uh, I was going to try to finish, unlike Bryson did, <laughs> on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, uh, you know, what do you think? And they they you know were willing to give me the benefit of the doubt, and uh, I had a fantastic uh, summer uh, because of it. You know, it uh, uh, and uh, I'm grateful. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty cool when your work, uh, when you really like your work and you're able to, to do things that, uh, I mean, I guess ultimately I ended up making a living off of the stuff that people would <laughs> do on the weekend on their own time. <laughs> I never saw it as a job though. You know, I saw it as uh, being really lucky to be able to do the writing wasn't the, the writing was no fun. <laughs> The hiking was way more fun, you know, but that was a classic. Uh, I think I lost, I think I lost 15 pounds while I was hiking the peaks and then I gained 20 <laughs> while I wrote the book. So it's, it's hard to be 10 steps from the fridge, at least for me. I don't have a lot of self-discipline there. So, oh well. So Mark, the, uh, you know, you say in your book, um, you know, my feet want the miles to end, but my heart wants them to last forever. Are there any other projects coming up? Are you uh, going to follow, um, you know, like Dean Crackle and, and go through hike the Colorado Trail or the CDT. Do you have anything coming up like that? You yearn outdoor, for it? Outdoor <laughs> stuff, yeah. I mean, you know, we try to get out for a few backpacking trips every year or river trips or something like that. Uh, you know, my work's been different. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I guess, a, a journalist or, you know, I, I got really lucky with my third book uh, that was centered on, uh, the Japanese had invaded and conquered part of Alaska during World War II. And so I got to go out to the uh, island where the main battle took place. Uh, nobody had lived on the island for 10 years. Nobody had landed a plane there for two years, 500 miles from the nearest civilian population. I went there with 60 minutes. You know, they chartered a plane to, to get us there. And uh, 
it's a volcanic island, you know, it goes from zero to 3000 feet. Almost. I mean, 95% of the islands encircled with cliffs. Uh, but I got to put up a Strava route <laughs> on Attu Island. That's someone that's the bird one. I only know. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But uh, I actually know some people who have been to Attu, and I know some people who it's a, it's a weird convergence of things. People who are birders who will hike and who will go up mountains. So I don't know. Maybe someday they'll take away my Strava King of the Mountain on Attu. But. Uh, <laughs> And then lately, I've been doing a bunch. Of, lately, I've actually been doing a bunch of public policy work on uh, uh, greed in the healthcare system. So this project may take me a while. <laughs> There's a lot there, believe it or not. <laughs> Ultimately, journalism is just you know, tell me a story. There's different things you could do, uh, but you know, I I don't think I I won't be doing another mountain book. <laughs> the centennial book. What's that? Do the centennials and write a second halfway to heaven? <laughs> uh, I like being married. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. All right, guys. Well, good luck. Thanks. I appreciate Thanks, it, guys. Thanks, Mark. We'll see you out there. Thanks, Mark. You guys, Thanks. Mark. See you. Best of luck. See you.